fat loss. This is a topic that is so challenging for a multitude of reasons. There can be so many emotions tied to this, just feelings of frustration and defeat, but also confusion about what actually works. Well, I invited my friend Philip Pape on the show with us today. He is a nutrition coach and the host of the Wits and Weights podcast, which is one of the top 25 nutrition podcasts out there. Make sure you go check out his show. I'm actually a guest over on his podcast this week too. And we get a little bit more into the details about belly fat in midlife in specific. So I'm going to make sure that that's linked below for you. But in my conversation here, we are going to dig deeper, dig a little deeper into the strategies that actually work if sustainable fat loss is one of your goals right now. And if you know me by now, you know that I'm more of a big picture thinker, whereas Philip loves the details and the data. So you're going to love this conversation. Let's jump in. Being 40 or older can be a struggle with new pains and less energy. If you're determined to be strong, energetic, and feeling great for many years to come, this show is for you. No extremes, just doable self-care tips that will change your life. I'm your host, Megan Dahlman. Let's jump in. Well, hey, Philip, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to have you here with us. So thanks for being here. Megan, it's good to see you again. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm really excited about this conversation. And I know everybody's leaning in a little bit. We're still towards the beginning of the year, you know, February, we kind of still have some of those resolutions in our mind. And I know, I just know, a lot of women listening right now had the goal of, you know, it would sure be great to lose some fat this year to lose a little bit of weight and to feel a little trimmer, a little fitter, a little leaner, but it always feels like fat loss in general, like achieving that is kind of like finding the Holy grail. <laughs> like it's, it's difficult. It's confusing. There are a million strategies out there. A lot of them are wrong. And I don't know if you've seen, um, uh, at a grocery store, like just in the checkout stand, some of the ma oh, magazines. I just laugh. It's it's an ongoing joke with my wife like, and I. Blast fat fast. It, it's just like, no, that's not going to do it. Not going to do it. And so I think, unfortunately, that's why a lot of people get so discouraged by the process. So I'm hoping today we can help to really clarify things and make it um, feel like, okay, this is not overwhelming. This is doable if this is the goal. So coming out of the gate, let's just start with um, just clarifying what we're talking about here. I know we use the words body composition a lot. Can you clarify for us what body composition actually means? And then maybe the difference between weight loss and fat loss. Oh, I love that one. I think that's core to everything, really. I did a whole episode about that a while back called fat loss versus weight loss because we do, the fitness industry is um, laser focused on marketing based on the number on the scale. And I've seen so many people um, gain a, a newfound freedom, not just on the food side, but with their fitness and with their body image by letting go of that number and embracing muscle, embracing what we call body composition, which is just the ratio of fat to muscle. Um, and we have a lot of things in our body, right? We have tissue, water, bones, organs, all of that, but there's not a lot we have direct control of as we do skeletal muscle. And it's a beautiful thing because 
from the age of 30, I think to 70, we lose around 30 to 40% of our muscle mass if we are not doing something to hold on to it and to build it. Conversely, recent, a recent study came out that showed 80 and 90 year olds can build brand new muscle tissue. So this is a very positive. Say that, positive, a, say yeah, that yeah. a little louder I'll, I'll for the people again. in the back. Yeah, that, that, is, <laughs> yes. that is so yeah. important to hear. Yeah, you, no matter what age you are, because let's be honest, most of us aren't going to make it past 100. <laughs> so basically your entire life, you can take an action and get a result that builds more muscle on your frame. And, and that's a beautiful thing. It really is. Uh, I used to be um, chasing the diets and chasing the scale and the weight or the, 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 the scale myself for many years, insecure about my body. And it wasn't until I started training and gaining weight and building muscle that I realized, oh, everything else gets a lot easier, including fat loss when you build muscle first. Yeah. Um, and by the way, by first, I just mean, unless you, unless it's an emergency that you lose weight, like for your health right now, if you have a little quote unquote weight to lose or you're a little fluffy, kind of what we talked about on my show, yeah. um, I still am going to encourage you to build muscle first because you could, as a beginner, yeah. you can burn muscle or you can burn fat and build muscle at the same time yeah. pretty easily. Um, so yeah, body composition is just, um, how much muscle you have, how much fat you have. We don't care about the number. We just care about moving it in the right direction. Yeah. So then when we're talking about the difference between weight loss and fat loss, it would really be so helpful in our minds to say like, I, I need to stop using the term terminology of I need to lose weight because like really when it comes down to us, we don't really want to lose weight at all costs. Like it's the fat in particular that, that we want to lose. Like we should be wanting to gain other things like gaining muscle, gaining bone density, gaining that muscle glycogen, gaining, gaining that other stuff. And I think that's why, you know, what you said, like the scale is really confusing and it doesn't tell us the whole picture at all. No, not at all, especially for a, a newer-ish lifter. And I know a lot, a lot of your listeners may maybe listen to your recent episode about how to get started lifting weights. I'm envious of people who are in that phase because you can make so much progress fairly easily with just being a little consistent. And what usually happens, at least when I work with my clients, a lot of them have been lifting, but some haven't been lifting effectively, let's just say with progressive overload. And I know it's, I don't know how many terms are the audience isn't familiar with, but that's just challenging their muscles more and more so that they grow. Um, the first, let's say one to three months, you don't have to lose any weight at all. You can just lift weights, dial in your nutrition, definitely get your pros, your protein, as Megan talks about, um, and um, stay the same scale weight, but actually improve your body composition. Now, at some point, everyone's listening here saying, well, I still have a little extra weight beyond that. You know, just a, I built it up over the years, and I, I want to I reveal that muscle that you're telling me to, to build. Okay, then we would go into a, a deliberate fat loss phase. Um, you might be thinking of bodybuilders and like chicken and broccoli or chicken and rice, you know, chicken and broccoli and, uh, extreme leanness and all that. It doesn't have to be like that at all. We can actually sustainably lose fat at a reasonable rate while holding onto our muscle so that it is fat that we lose. Right. And come out the other side with after three months. And in the future, when you do fat loss phase, it may not take more than one or two months to where nine, 10, 12 months of the year, you are not dieting, right? And doesn't that sound great to not be dieting most of the time? Yeah, I think it's great. So going into, you know, 
what you're saying is like really true sustainable fat loss is what we want to achieve here. Not like this extreme, I'm going to just cut and like get rid of a ton of weight all at once because we really are, we now know it's, it's really just the fat on our body that we want to improve that body composition of lowering the amount of fat that's on our frame while building at least the very minimum, maintaining the muscle that we have on our frame. So what should be our three big guiding principles for this? I know you did a podcast recently on this, on your show, Wits and Weights, about, um, you know, the actual like simple strategies for fitter, leaner body, like everything you need to know about fat loss. And there was these three big guiding principles that you had. Can you share those with us? If I get these right, because I I, uh, I have a lot of threes. Um, I think these are... I love yeah. number three too, as you know. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, it's just magical. So I, I think the first big one is building muscle, right? Is we talked about to uh, not, not only building, but preserving muscle because before fat loss, you want to build as much muscle as possible which increases your basal metabolic rate, your metabolism. You burn more muscle just existing 24 hours around the clock. Um, it's not an insane amount. Like, let's be realistic. Let's be evidence-based here. For every pound of muscle, it's probably uh, six to nine calories. So if you gain 10 pounds of muscle, you might burn up to 100 extra calories. That's still meaningful, right? 100 calories is, is a good cushion. And then beyond that, having that extra muscle, that metabolically flexible, expensive tissue cascades into other things. Like you can push harder in the gym. You have lower stress. You can sleep more, you know, better recovery, better injury, lower inflammation, more bone density, on and on and on. Like muscle is king, okay? And so it just makes all the other decisions you make for fat loss easier, including the amount of calories you want to eat to go into that deficit. So um, the other thing about muscle is when you're losing weight, I, I meant to say this earlier and I forgot to, but uh, about quarter of the, a quarter of the weight you lose is muscle if you are not strength training. So get that, in, get that into your head. 20, if you lost 20 pounds on a diet, up to five of that could be muscle. When you gain the weight back, which guess the what? 95% of people do within five years, you're gaining all fat back. And so if you're a 140-pound female and you lose 20 pounds and then you gain it back, and you lose it and you get it back, you lose it and you get it back, you are just worsening your body composition even at the same scale weight. So the opposite of that is your strength training while you're in a deficit, and then your body is going to say, well, your muscles are so important to you right now. I'm going to shuttle all those nutrients to rebuild them as, as I can, even if it's not new tissue, just to keep at status quo. And we're going to take the rest of the energy from your fat cells, right? And that's how we lose fat. So that's, that's the first one. <laughs> first one is muscle. Yeah. Building the muscle. And I think you said that the other one is, well, the principle is like make building muscle makes fat loss easier and then preserving that muscle should be another guiding principle of doing everything we can, right? To keep that whatever muscle we have on our body. Yeah, yeah. It's just focusing on the body composition. And one of the um, mistakes people make during fat loss, besides doing too much cardio, <laughs> which is a mistake we can talk about, is um, they think the training has to be more high rep training to burn fat. That's the, the thought. And this is a really important point because I will see someone who has kind of gotten their act together in the training department. They're doing the six to 12 reps or four to six or whatever, you know, heavy lifting. And then sw a switch goes on. It's fat loss time. And they start doing a, uh, you know, six day a week, 
you know, 15 to 20 rep program on a YouTube influencers program to burn fat. <laughs> okay. And that's not what we want to do. If anything, I would take a fairly heavy lifting program and just continue it into the fat loss phase. And you might even have to reduce the volume a little bit, which could be as simple as doing uh, one less set on some of the exercises or doing one less movement for the session. And the goal here with all of fat loss is to keep the stress as low as possible on our body to allow that process to continue naturally. And if you're doing too much, that could be a problem. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. It's so interesting. I had, I overheard a conversation. Um, I was in a parking lot list waiting for my son to get done with soccer. And I, it was a beautiful day. So the windows were opening and open. And I was just sitting in the car and I overheard this guy in the car next to me that was having a conversation on his phone. He said, I really have got to get this fat off. So like he was talking about like needing to lose weight. And he's like, so I've committed that I'm not going to strength train for the next three months. And I'm only going to do cardio. And I just wanted to like jump through the window and be like, no, you're doing this absolute opposite. And I think we have it in our brains that like strength training and pushing heavy weights, especially once we get to that point where we're actually lifting weights, like that's the thing that makes us big. The thing that makes us smaller, because often when our in our mind, we're like, when I want to lose weight, I want to be smaller. So the thing that makes me smaller is going to be the cardio or the high reps, low weight, because that's always what I've been told tones me. And I want to tone like that sounds nice. And we just kind of have it all backwards. So I'm so glad that you touched on that. And then I think the third guiding principle that you had is you can't, once you get through this, you can't maintain what you've achieved if you're doing about it with something extreme. Yeah, I think we're talking about having a more uh, flexible, sustainable approach, right? A holistic, flexible, sustainable approach. Um, the Again, the diet switch goes on for a lot of people when they think of weight loss or fat loss, where all of a sudden they need to cut things out. And the easiest way people do this, and by easy, I'm, that's not a compliment in this context, is cutting out food groups, cutting out carbs, cutting something out. Um, I like to, I like you to establish a, a solid nutrition approach with high protein, high fiber, like adding in all the good foods and learning how to have that skill of eating in a balanced way before you even do a fat loss phase, have that set up for success, have the hydration, figure out your supplementation, like all of that. And then the fat loss is just scaling things appropriately with that skill set, right? So it's not just cutting everything out. Now, that's not to say there's not a form of restriction. Let's be honest. To lose fat, to go into calorie deficit, you are restricting calories. You are. But you can do it in a way that feels not restrictive compared to any other approach. <laughs> so we just have to acknowledge that. Let's definitely talk strategy now. So what do you believe, and, and I know you did an episode on this not long ago, and you listed out like six or eight different strategies for fat loss, but I'd love to kind of park on the first three that you had mentioned. And those were strength training, protein, and even the tracking piece. So let's talk a little bit more about strength training. And we dabbled with it earlier, but how is strength training connected to fat loss? It, one purpose and one purpose alone, and that is maintain muscle mass. <laughs> That's why we strength train. That's it. Um, I alluded to the programming a little bit and without, without getting too technical, there's different, there's different terms we use in lifting. And one of those is intensity. And by intensity, we mean the weight on the bar or the weight in the dumbbell or the load, not how hard you're working out or how much you're sweating. 
And so if you can prioritize that, it's going to be more important than anything else. So what that gives you is instead of what we talked about before, this high muscle endurance, you know, burn fat approach, it may only be three days in the gym, two or three movements heavy with, with very little time in the gym, to be honest. And that's enough to maintain that muscle mass. For some people, it's even less than that. If you're older, if you've got joint issues, you know, you're dealing with, you know, back issues, whatever, it might be uh, a quarter of the volume that you normally do when you're eating more food to maintain your mass, muscle mass. And, that, and that's enough. So just to simplify for everyone, it's not like you have to totally change everything to yeah. do that. No, that's um, so good yeah. to know because we have this in our minds. Like if I want to lose fat, I'm going to now have to like work out for an hour and a half every single day. <laughs> and, and maybe that's the approach that would be required if your focus was not on the muscle piece, if it was strictly just burning calories with no regard to the muscle component of it, like, yeah, maybe that's what it would take. It, it wouldn't though, but maybe. But when your focus is on the, the muscle, like, let me do everything I can to build and maintain muscle during this season where I'm, I'm trying to work on getting rid of some of this excess fat. Um, it really is not it's not that much. Like you don't have to do that. No. And and we, we can measure this. Like when you're building and you are not in a diet, how do you measure your muscle mass? Well, you measure it through your lifts continuing to progress. And you could even take body measurements, like your biceps and thighs tend to go up in circumference more than say your waist or your, you know, your chest might go up as well. Um, during fat loss, how do you measure that you're not losing muscle mass? Well, Chances are your strength will start to plateau, but it shouldn't really regress. And your muscle mass um, shouldn't change very much in terms of like your circumference measurements. So if you feel like you are actively building muscle, even you may not be building new muscle, you're at least holding on to it. So that's just a little bit of um, what we track in yeah. addition to scale yeah. weight. No, that's so good. Loss. So is cardio ever okay in the picture here? Like, when it when we're in this phase where we're like I I I want to be losing some body fat, where does cardio fit in? Like, does it, should it never be part of our plan, or is there a specific point where it could be okay for us? So this is what I, I like to say that car, you don't need cardio for fat loss. That's the first prerequisite, very important. So if you didn't do cardio at all, you can still lose fat. However, we know cardio has benefits, you know, cardiovascular benefits, hence the name. Um, and it also can bump the needle a little bit on your expenditure or your calorie burn. I like to split cardio into the, the different modes. We've had uh, very low intensity, steady state cardio, which would be like walking probably fits in there, or even moderate biking. We have medium intensity, which is what most people think of as the rat race type cardio when you're on the treadmill and kind of running or whatever. And then you have um, high intensity people know as hit, right? Which is short burst. It could be Tabatas. It could be sprint runs, things like that. Um, any of that can work to a certain extent, as long as it doesn't impede your recovery, your stress, your joint health, and your ability to build muscle. Now you're like, well, how do I know all that? I like a rule of thumb of no more than half the time you spend lifting weights, you do as medium or high intensity cardio. So if you're in the gym three days a week for an hour, that's three hours. Don't do more than say an hour and a half a week of intense cardio, which 
it's not that much, <laughs> you know, it's not that much low intensity cardio though. Have at it. Like there's pretty much no limit to that. You know, we're talking walking and biking, you know, very low grade cardio. And that actually will burn a lot of calories if you step that up a bit during fat loss. Well, and that was the next question I was going to ask you is like, how does this, how does extra movement fit in? And I know a lot of people, and sometimes I'll get in the trap of this too, is like you get up, you have a really great workout in the morning, and then you end up like sitting the rest of the day. <laughs> yes. And compensation. If, if you're someone that is wanting to lose some body fat, how can extra movement throughout the day, maybe it's just going for a walk, like a low intensity thing, how does that play a role in our results that we're going to experience? I think it's a huge role. Um, for my clients, we usually try to step up the step count by like two to 4,000 steps a day as a proxy for that extra movement. However you get it. So that could just be walking around the house and doing chores, parking farther from the store, going upstairs, and then deliberate walks that are part of your routine. I don't like targets just for the sake of targets. I like targets when you back them into habits and things that you enjoy. So if your goal is to get an extra 2,000 steps, which is like a mile of walking, you're not getting an extra 2,000 steps. You are getting a mile after lunch every day that I put in my you know, my phone as a reminder, and I'm doing it because it helps my digestion and my mood from the vitamin C, and I can listen to a podcast or whatever. You know, like it's a deliberate thing, not I the end that. goal. It's it's having your physical activity, like that intentional physical activity, the workout. You know what we would call probably call the workout, be the workout, and then just being someone that outside of that planned workout is just someone that moves a lot during during the day. We need to talk about your tight hips real quick. Did you know that not having adequate mobility in your hips can lead to a whole host of problems like low back pain and knee pain, and of course, hip pain like sciatica and SI joint problems? Well, for most of us, we sit a lot, which makes our hips really tight. And then we stand and walk around and, and we don't have good posture when we do all that. So that can make our hips tight too. And the biggest culprit for that hip tightness is usually your hip flexors. So I wanted to help you with this, and so I put together a hip flexor stretching masterclass. In this masterclass, I teach you exactly how to properly stretch and mobilize your psoas and adductors and all those little muscles that connect in through the front of your hips. This relieves so much pressure off of your low back and makes your hips feel and move so much better. This masterclass is totally free, and you can start it today. Just go to vigeofit.com slash hips, or I will drop the link in the notes. Go grab it. Okay, back to the show. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the nutrition aspect. So biggest thing with nutrition when it comes to fat loss, what should be our primary focus? Okay, I, and we can tie it in. I think the third, um, the third strategy we were going to talk about is tracking. So I don't know. Oh, oh yeah, the second one is protein. Okay, got it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, let's do that. So um, yeah, protein. I mean, I know you and I are fully on the same page here. That is what's most efficient in people's diets, men and women, but especially women who are probably under eating by 70 to 90%. I mean, it's significant um, with the protein, right? Because we we look, I, I do like numbers. So I like the target of 0.7 to 1 gram per pound to get to that. Now, a lot of people I work with are already lifting and kind of nerding out on all this, uh, you know, the macro stuff. But um, I, I would start with, are you eating protein in every meal? Right? Are you eating protein every meal? Because most people aren't even doing that. Um, and the reason we want protein is not just for building muscle, 
and repairing muscle, that's the that's the, the core reason for it. There are other benefits of protein that if we acknowledge them, uh, drive us to want to eat more. So one of those is satiety, fullness, right? During fat loss, the things that the, the biggest struggle people have is hunger. Hunger gets ramped up because of the hormonal response to this lack of energy in your body, right? Low energy availability, which ramps up leptin and ghrelin and affects your thyroid and cortisol and everything else. And you just want to eat more and more, you know, you get more and more hungry. So we can't eliminate the hunger, but we can mitigate it. So we mitigate it with fiber, uh, hydration, protein. Protein is the highest uh, satiety macro, you know, more than fats and carbs. Um, we also can use hard foods. We can have broths, you know, vegetable soups and broths. We can eat high volume uh, berries and watermelon and other foods like that, even though they're fruit, not bad for you. It's okay. Fruits have a lot fewer calories than you think. Um, and so, so that's another reason for protein. Um, protein also burns more calories when it gets digested than carbs and fat. So what you see, especially with women going from 40 grams a day to 140 grams a day is not only are they, get, are they getting fuller, their, their metabolism creeps up a little bit just from that, which is crazy, right? Because you're like, great, I'm, I'm having my cake and eat it too. And then literally you can plan in cake if you'd like, because we can talk about that. <laughs> um, and then finally, protein, if, if you're trying to prioritize protein and you go to the grocery store, it's hard not to get mostly whole foods, right? The plant-based proteins, animal sources, it's all whole foods. So it's just a great recipe for scaling to the rest of your nutrition. No, that's so good because I think earlier we were talking about like trying to create a deficit. And I think sometimes like, yes, on paper, that's what we need for, to experience some form of fat loss. There does need to be a deficit. And so our brains automatically go to, I need to eat less. And I think what's so great about this approach is that actually when you ramp up your protein and eat more protein, it ends up crowding out the other splurge where, you know, those splurge foods that really have a negative impact on your ability to lose fat. Um, so it ends up not feeling so restrictive, which is really cool. Cause I think so many people have that experience of like when they've tried to achieve fat loss in the past, it was such a negative experience because it was so restrictive, right? Especially on the food. Yeah. Side and it, it's in conjunction with the other things. So for example, the reason it probably felt restrictive is not just because you were cutting out all these foods you enjoy, which is definitely a recipe for binging those later on, but also because you were probably going so quickly trying to lose the weight that that just like an exponential curve, it just ramped up all these hunger signals. The loss of muscle mass as well, when you dieted in the past, exacerbates it further because loss of muscle creates an interesting side phenomenon. I think it's called hyperphagia or something, but it, it creates cravings for high energy sources like sugars, fats, carbs. <laughs> so um, it, all, it all comes together. The funny thing is about fullness, again, especially for women who like weren't eating much protein before, is before we even do fat loss, we're trying to, I'm trying to get them to eat more food because they're probably underfed to begin with. And when they add the protein in, they're like, how can I eat more? I can't eat more. <laughs> like, let's just, we'll, we'll titrate it up. We'll titrate it up. And guess what? You're going to get a lot of that from carbs too. And that's always a big shock. Like, oh, I could eat carbs. And we get them to that maintenance level. That's actually quite a bit higher than they thought. And then when they go into the fat loss phase, it's like, oh, this isn't so bad. We're just kind of cutting back down to the feeling I used to have eating normally, but now we're in a deficit. 
Uh, and it, it really is a beautiful thing. And I think one of the biggest fears too, whenever you say like boost some, like eat more of something, and especially I, I get this pushback a lot of like, how am I supposed to increase my protein and not gain weight? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me that like, wouldn't this be counter counterintuitive? So I mean, apart from the fact that it could potentially crowd out other food on your plate that's not as healthy, like what's the best way to go about increasing our protein intake and ensure that we're not also simultaneously being counterproductive here and gaining weight at the same time? It's it's a good one. I think of that in terms of protein density. So like I I one one time because I'm a data I'm a data nerd I like spreadsheets I put together a huge list of protein sources everything you can imagine lean meats dairies even things that have a little protein like nuts because those aren't protein sources per se um, and then ranked them by how much protein they have per hundred grams and when you get that you start to realize oh okay if I like steak I could eat sirloin or I could eat ribeye if you're educated on the fact ribeye has a lot more fat you're going to go with sirloin during fat loss. There's still steak. They're still both delicious. You know, it's not like you're swapping it out for tofu, right? Nothing against tofu, just saying. Um, and then uh, same thing with dairy. Dairy's a big one because for omnivores who have no intolerances, I love dairy as a source of protein, cottage cheese, Greek yogurt, skier, um, even like low fat type uh, cheeses like um, provolone and mozzarella and uh, Fairlife brand milk and things like that. But when you're in a fat loss phase, you got to watch out for the fat and, and you just have to go toward the 2%, 1% fat-free versions. But we have modern food science, which gets vilified, but there are brands like Oikos Zero that uses, I don't know, monk fruit and stevia to sweeten what's effectively almost all protein and a little bit of carbs. So that that would be your answer on how we shift the protein in a fat loss phase, just, just more protein dense sources. Yeah. I love that. It's basically taking your, your sources of protein and making sure like really it's, it's just protein. There's a lot of foods that I, I say are, are line straddlers. Like they've got one foot in one category and another foot in an, in another category. I think, um, beans are a great example of that. They're, they're protein, but they're also a carbohydrate. Um, and off, most proteins, protein sources have one foot on the protein side of things and one foot on the fat side. So it's like, let's find the protein sources that have pretty much only a foot in the protein side. So lean sources of protein, and that's going to ensure that you're not getting excess calorie intake from that. Yeah. And, it, and it, I'll, I'll be honest, it will feel a little bit, not artificial, but it'll feel uh, a little bit forced when you first learn that skill because it's so different from what you've had in the past and what the American kind of standard diet gives you, right? Protein is 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 more expensive. It's not profitable for the food industry. So they don't like putting protein in anything because <laughs> it costs too much money, which is kind of an indication that it's maybe better and higher quality food. Um, but the, the one thing I didn't mention was protein powders. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with protein powders. I think people need as much as somebody lifting weights needs probably will want to incorporate one or two scoops at least a day of some sort of protein powder. You don't have to, I encourage whole foods, but there's nothing wrong with it. It's just very mildly filtered milk. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think there's a really great benefit for someone who struggles to eat that much. And I think as women are getting older, 
you kind of lose your appetite and you don't really want to be eating these giant meals and, and going about the day feeling so full on protein. And I think this is a great place where those protein supplements can really fill in the gaps and make sure that your body is getting as much protein as it needs. And so let's kind of wrap up with this final piece of the strategy plan. And, and that's the tracking piece. And I know that this can feel really hard for a lot of people that are coming from a place of like that highly restrictive or dieting background. So what are some easy ways that we can track our progress without triggering that dieting mindset? Maybe they spent years counting calories and they're like, I don't want to go back there, but I, I do want to experience some fat loss. So what would be some helpful ways to, to do the tracking piece? And why, wait, let me, let me start by just saying, why, why would that even be helpful? Why is tracking helpful in, in the first place? I mean, that, that's a good premise. Like you can't measure anything that you don't track. It's as simple as that. Just like with your budget or your business, right? Even your relationships. I mean, you can track different things and some things are more appropriate to track than others at, with numbers. So there are different levels of tracking. Um, and I know on, on my podcast, you were talking about um, developing habits and like tracking check marks and things. That is a form of tracking, like tracking how often you get protein. Um, for me specifically with my clients, they know coming in, I'm like the engineer and they're going to get the full on tracking experience. But I like tools for tracking that have the least friction. So when you talk about counting calories being tedious. I was in that camp for years. I, I hated it because the apps were terrible. They required way too much time. They were cumbersome. They were inaccurate. Um, and if you can have an app that that's none of those things that as a tool, then that eliminates those excuses and reasons that are not the real reasons. You know what I mean? Um, so for me, the tracking, even if you don't use it as a target is awesome for awareness. And if you just track for three weeks, even if you don't quote unquote like it, track everything you eat, you know, measure it just so you know what the macros are and take the information and learn from it. Even if you never want to track again, you're going to have so much more agency and power over what you eat because you know, hey, I graze during the day. I eat off my kid's plate. I have more alcohol than I thought. You know, the appetizer and desserts on the weekend really add up. And then that's just information. And guess what you find? A lot of people find that that information then becomes something they want more of <laughs> because it empowers them. And then we're able to just do that for a while, especially during fat loss, where I want you to get it over with as quickly as possible and not have to, you know, quote unquote, suffer because it's not the most fun thing, even though we talked about all this, you know, making it as easy as possible. I want you to get it over with in, I don't know, 12, 16 weeks max. If you're not tracking and you're trying to do it intuitively, but you haven't developed the skill, it's going to be harder to kind of go down that trend line, get to that goal and get out of it efficiently. It really is just that awareness tool. It's a great way to just keep things top of mind. And I think the stats out there of how much people um, underestimate how much they actually consume and overestimate how much they actually move is <laughs> really really kind of funny. And it, and once you just start journaling it and just noticing what your behaviors actually are objectively, not what you think they are, but what they actually are, it can be really eye-opening. And like you said, you can just do it for a short period of time as just like a, an awareness tool 
of like, whoa, I didn't realize it was like that. Okay, now this helps point me in a trajectory of like, okay, I need to pay a little bit more attention to the alcohol that I consume or these treats that I continue to keep eating. I'm starting to see these patterns developing that I wasn't aware of before. So I think that's so helpful. And I think, you know, as we're talking about just fat loss in general, I think a lot of women listening may not have been prepared to hear so much about like weightlifting and protein, you know, <laughs> and it can feel like this would be a plan for like a bodybuilder and that it, it wouldn't work for their, you know, quote unquote, their type of fat loss. So what would you say to that? Like, why, why does this work for a woman that's in her forties, fifties, sixties, who's like, I'm not a bodybuilder. What are you talking about? I don't want to be like lifting heavy weights and just chugging the protein. Why is this actually going to work for me? Uh, I mean, that's, that's a great question. Um, I mean, that's, it's, it's how the body works. It's our physiology, right? Um, we know that muscle is, is us. Like if, if you take out your bones and organs, all that's left is muscle. And that's what moves us. That's what makes us functional and interact with the world. And we're physical beings. When you look at your parents or grandparents, when they get into their sixties and seventies, what do you see walking around? You see people who are hunched over, who are frail, who easily get injured, who, who get put on lots of prescription medication. One thing leads to another and the health span versus the lifespan is so far apart that our medical system is able to keep us alive for 30 more years, but you're not going to enjoy those 30 years unless you're strong. So, and, and then ladies with the osteoporosis, I mean, women have a disadvantage in that from puberty, you have like significantly less muscle as a baseline versus men. The positive thing is you can grow that muscle as a percentage equally as effectively as men. And that surprises a lot of women because they think that because of this testosterone difference, they can't build muscles quickly. That's not true. You can build it as quickly as a percentage, which again, you have less muscle to begin with. So I guess that that's why it's important. And uh, the, the stuff that bodybuilders learned um, to build that muscle just tends to help everyone <laughs> once you, once you figure those out. <laughs> yeah. And I love yeah. the, like the side effects of this type of focus is that not only are you going to experience fat loss and ultimately a better body composition, but at the same time, like you said, you're improving your overall functionality and your longevity. Cause the worst thing to do would be like, get to a point where, okay, you lose all the fat and now your body's in worse shape. You're more miserable. You don't have good function. Your, your joints are a mess. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people go down that road of I'm going to lose a fat at all cost, And I'm, I'm actually not all that much healthier after the fact. So this method is so much healthier in the long run. And, and I appreciate that, that we're totally on the same page with that. Well, to round things out, I always like to leave people with just like one quick tip, one quick action step. And I, I didn't prepare you for this. So I'm kind of throwing it at you, but what would you say to just the woman that's listening? That's like, okay, I'm, I know I'm embarking on wanting to lose some body fat, improving my body composition. I'm feeling nervous and discouraged with the process. What would you say to her to just encourage her for the road? This ahead? is, I mean, you were listening to Megan here on this podcast and I think you have, you have the tools and the support you need with others in your community to, to make this happen. 
Um, thousands of women are doing this every day, even if it is not the norm and it's not what the industry industry tells you and the, the negativity about around body image and all of that. Um, if you want to be capable and strong and be able to take care of your family and be confident and all those things, it really does come down to just focusing on your body and treating it like a temple, like an athlete, you know, you wouldn't starve, you know, your child don't starve yourself, right? Just build it up and, and, and you'll be your most beautiful self doing that, um, building that muscle. So good. That's, that's wonderful. Well, Philip, thank you so much. Where can we go to listen to you, your podcast, Wits and Weights? Sure. Tell us all the things. Yeah. Podcast is everywhere. You get your podcast. So right now, as you're listening to this one, you can pause and go find it. Wits and Weights and subscribe. Um, I'm on Instagram at Wits and Weights. And then I have a website with a bunch of free guides, um, including guides related to hunger and fat loss and building muscle and all that. Witsandweights.com. I love it. I'll definitely link that below in the show notes, guys. And thank you so much for being with us again today, Philip. I think we learned a lot. Thanks again. Thanks so much. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Megan.